everybody and welcome back to the Land of Vienna Sweet Podcast, episode 96. My name is Will Jones. Joining me tonight, Tom Jenkins. Hello, Tom. Hello, Will. It feels good to be back, mate. It is. It's good to be back. And also on the show tonight is James Jarvis. Hello, James. Finally. Finally. God. <laughs> we are back. It's been a long time coming. Uh, it's been about two months since the last one, believe it or not. Um, and I have to say, it's pretty much down to me. Um, just as a couple of technical issues, but we're back up and running now, so you can expect to hear a lot more from us um, and annoying you in the weeks worst to come. time to get technical issues. Oh, of course, yeah. We, we, we've had a pretty eventful few months to miss out on, but um, we'll do our best to catch up on it all tonight. Um, so before we get cracking, I'd uh, just like to mention and sort of promote the last podcast which uh, Eddie Skelly hosted. So that was the exclusive interview with Adam Afondra, obviously, down in Sydney. I'm sure most of you have already listened to it, but if you haven't, check that out. Um, but mainly tonight will just be a chronological catch-up more than anything. Um, so the last time we spoke, lads, we just lost Lafondre, uh, speaking of the devil. Um, and we were just going into the Birmingham game. Uh, were either of you at the Birmingham game? No, but I think we could have, we watched it on TV, or at least I did. Yeah, that was one of the sort of the start of the Skype promotion. But uh, you know, back to nicer times. That three mm-hmm. wins on the bounce. It was indeed. It was. I think that was the one where it was the controversial goal uh, that McGinnis claimed. I mean, no one was going to challenge him for it, were they? Really? Actually, <laughs> not Will Buckley. Yeah. Oh, yeah, of course Will, not. Poor Will Buckley. <laughs> but, um, yeah. I remember the particular focus of that game more than anything was the. The return in the crowd of uh, Mr. Medine. What did we make of that? I think he wants to come back, to be honest, but I, I, I say burn the bridges. Yeah, it, it's sort of been in, in the background, you know, in, in back of the minds, I'm sure, f- for for many of us. But, um, you know, I, th- I think it's probably been, you know, a, a long time coming, but it's also not really um, evolved. And I'm sure the player wanted it, but. You know, it's probably maybe not the best move for us. What do you make of it, Tom? Um, I think the reason why he was there is because he's, you know, good mate still with a lot of the boys there. One of the mm-hmm. big reasons why we managed to stay up last season was because of the good team spirit that we had. And I think that's just uh, symptomatic of, of it still existing. You know, any player mm-hmm. who's part of that, who's working mm-hmm. day in, day out with lads that he enjoys being around is bound to, uh, you know, miss it when he mm. ends up going to another club and the move doesn't work out. Possibly, you know, it's not the same atmosphere. So I wasn't surprised at all to see that he'd, he'd you know, come back for that game. And I'm, I'm sure that over the course of the season, regardless of um, regardless of what goes on at Cardiff, we'll be seeing a bit more of him. Yeah, of course. I mean, he, he's been... He, how long was he with the club? It was probably th- three years, maybe. Four? Three years. Three years. Two and a half yeah. years, yeah. I'm sure he developed good relationships here and obviously he's not been at Cardiff all that long, so um Yeah, he's just not but... he's not built for the Premier League. <laughs> yeah, I mean we haven't seen much of him, have we? And I know he, he's made a couple of appearances from the bench, but um certainly not set set the league alight, has he? So um yeah. But as I say, we're gonna we're gonna go in chronological order and it seems weird talking about events that happened in August. Um still the transfer window at this point. Um, so the next, the following day on from that, I think Josh McGuinness and Pavel Okowski received their call-ups, respectively. Um, and on that same day, um, sadly, Ian Firth left us at Line of Vienna. Um, Ian was a long-serving member of the team, who I'm sure many of the other senior members knew very well. 
Um, he sort of provided us with all the uh, the financial side of things and kept us up to date in court when, when that was all going on. Um, lads, you know we had him on the podcast numerous times. Um, he was a good pundit, but you know it seemed to just lose his passion with the club a bit, hadn't he? I'm not surprised with all the events that have happened over the past couple of years that eventually he's just gotten sick of it. Mm. Um, but I... I, I love that. I love having him in the short time that I've been part of the love team. He helps translate all the financial jargon for me, so I could actually make sense of it all. And he just seemed like a really, really nice guy. Yeah, no, it, it was it was a good egg. Um, a shame that we've lost him really, but um, he's still about on all your social medias. I think it's super white smurf. Everyone will know him as so. Um, he's, he's still on there if if you want to hear more from Ian. But um, yeah, it won't be any longer from from Line of Vienna, But that's that. Um, so. Following on from that, Tom actually got his wish um, for a transfer target. Uh, we got in uh, Williams on loan, didn't we, from Everton? We did indeed. Yeah. Yeah. Do call me the uh, ITK man from the Fancy Football Club from Star Sports <laughs> all those years ago. Agent <laughs> Tom. It, it, it I don't know. It was, it was a move that I wanted simply because um, of how irritating I'd found Williams whenever I watched him play for Barnsley last year. And uh, given that we seem to have pretty good connections with Everton, uh, unfortunately, obviously, we didn't end up getting Anthony Robinson, but we did manage to get Williams based on that connection. And, uh, you know, so far, I've been relatively impressed with him and I'm, I'm, I'm more than happy that he's at the club. Yeah, I mean, he, he seems to have sort of become a, a, a solid part of the team. You know, he, he made his name, obviously, at Preston, which we'll get onto in a little bit. Um, and, you know, he seems to be been a really strong addition to the side, particularly, you know, sitting in front of the back four and what have you. Um James, have you been equally as impressed? Um, I'd I'd say I've been slightly more impressed, and I haven't been impressed. There's been some games where I've just been thinking, "What on earth is this lad doing?" Like, mm. um, I know I'm jumping a bit ahead here, but I believe it was against Middles. No, not Middlesbrough. Um, it oh, it was one of the home games. Derby, yeah, it, against Derby where he just kept missing his passes all over the show, just mm. barely making a single one find his target. But then he has games like he did in his debut against Preston, where he just absolutely bullied Ben Pearson. Yeah. Things like that. His it, defensive work is phenomenal, but some of his attacking work really needs yeah. well, some work on. I mean, he's a, he's a developing player, isn't he? Obviously, he's come, he's come out of the championship for, for a bit of experience, really, and he's certainly getting plenty of it. Um, so I'm sure we'll see him develop as a player. Um, over the course of the season, um, yeah. Um, so Williams' first game was actually Sheffield United. Uh, I think that was the following day, actually, or, or the day after. Um, Tom, y- your favourite rivals? <laughs> Just dissect that game for us. A, a solid three 0 loss there. Utter rubbish. It was. Um, it was a case of we know what Sheffield United are like. They're a physical side. They are. They pass the ball around very, very quickly. They like to, you know. Uh, start attacks and get to the box in as uh, few passes as possible which a team with ageing centre-halves and a midfield that's been criticised for its lack of mobility was always going to struggle to deal with and you know we gave them a two-goal head start we never really looked like recovering that position and you know John Flex third was was the icing on the cake for them and you know it, it's a shame for me from a personal point of view you know it's it's, it's not exactly a closely guarded secret that I really dislike Sheffield United and, and members of their members of their squad and their and their management setup, but you know it's one of those things where you've got to accept you're beaten by the better side on on the day, and let's hope that we can go to Bramall Lane 
um, on February the second, and uh, you know get one back over like we did yeah. last year. Oh, that was also the game where um, I think was it when Jonathan Grounds made his league debut for us. I think yes, it was. was. Yeah. Yes, it was. Ah, uh, <laughs> uh. <laughs> it's no, it's no shock, is it? That the first two goals have come from that right, their right hand side, our left. Uh, the second goal, where Kieran Freeman has passed it into the box, and it's, everyone has just watched it go into the back of the net. I mean, one of the one of the, one of the most comical goals that I think I've ever seen. But you know, it, he he was bullied by Freeman. He was bullied by Mark Duffy. He just looked like a man who'd been, as he had been playing with the kids um, at Birmingham all all summer. And completely off the pace. Mm, it's a shame. I mean, obviously, it wasn't our finest ninety minutes in terms of how we've performed so far that uh, the season. I think probably the only bonus we can take from that game is we managed to keep Billy Sharp relatively quiet, um, but obviously not so much in in terms of John Fleck. He he did admittedly um, embarrass us a little bit that game, but yeah, I think we can move swiftly on from that and hope that it's not the same come yeah. uh, as Tom said February the second. I love how you've pinpointed that date already. Yeah, there's a reason that they're top of the table at the moment because they just tore us apart. We didn't help ourselves, but they were admittedly brilliant, which is really annoying because I despise Chris Wilder. Yeah, yeah, no, he's not. He's not the uh, the nicest of managers, shall we say? But um, I just say I've seen lemons less bitter than him. <laughs> oh, that's a bold statement. <laughs> but yeah, next up was deadline day I think um, so the main events of that day was obviously the signing of Christian Doge from is that, I, I might have butchered his name there completely I still haven't heard Deutsch, anyone actually Doge say his name yeah Doge um, so obviously from Forest Green um, so he was a 7 million uh, 7 figure 7 sorry. million sorry 7 million Get, getting ahead of myself 7 figure <laughs> some signing Um but yeah, we yet to see sort of the most of him, but I'm I'm sure he'll he'll get his chance later in the season. Um, also on deadline day, Connor Hall uh, got a low move to locals Ackerton Stanley. Um, exactly. Um, but sadly, we missed out on Joe Garner, which seemed to be a cert for sadly maybe nearly a well, n- not so much, but it, it it was just one that we we thought was pretty nailed on, didn't we? Um, we it's sort of a, a a fortnight going on, maybe three weeks, you know, that we, we were pretty strongly linked with him and then nothing materialised. And then, um, obviously, the, the most frustrating part of it all was losing uh, Anthony Robinson to, to Wigan as well. Um, I think that was a bit of a Wigan have kick a scouting set up themselves or they just wait to see who Boltner are interested in. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure that's how it, how they work over there, yeah. Um, how would, how would you... Wigan Wanderers, isn't it? <laughs> how would you sum up deadline day then, James? Uh, well, to be fair, I think we got the the, the positions filled that we needed because after we lost Alf, we 100% needed a striker. We couldn't just rely on McGuinness and Donaldson for the entire season. And Hull, again, going out on Aki is a, was a big thing because he really needs the game time. Mm. He's not getting as much as I thought he would there at the moment, but um, from what I've heard, whenever he has come off the bench, he's impressed He's, in, he's he's been impressed with with his running and his partnerships with like Billy Key and Zanzala are over there. Um, but yeah, Dodge. The thing with Dodge, um, obviously, it's a lot of pressure from a uh, League Two striker. Although he had a very good season in League Two, to make that step up, it's not too often that players actually can make that step up, especially when he's our 
pretty much our big money signing this season. So I'm hoping he doesn't succumb to the pressure and that he can eventually adapt. But he's just going to have to do a bit of work to dislodge McGuinness at the moment, who's in decent form. Yeah. So, but we'll see how it goes. I mean, he's been on international duty recently, hasn't he? And there was fears that he sort of picked up a knock, but I don't think that that is materialised. You know, I think he got a game the other day, so. Um, I would have thought that he will keep his place for now. But, um, yeah, Tom, anything to add to that? I think if you'd have asked me, you know, this is obviously the difficulty with having this conversation a month or and a half down the line. Um, if you'd have asked me to give my impression of, of Doidge at the time, I would have said pretty exciting. Um, mm-hmm. A lad who clearly knows where the net is. I've watched him play a fair few times for Forest Green and thought, yeah, that, that that's a guy who, who was a natural finisher. But he's also got the physical attributes to be able to do the job that Parky likes so well in the striking and that target man role. Um, a month and a half on, I completely agree with James in that I really do struggle to see him displacing McGuinness because I just, I, I just think Josh can do all the stuff that Deutsch can, but just as well. Might not be as natural a finisher, but the physicality, the running, and the fact that I think his teammates trust him a bit more is going to get him the same number of goals that Doidge would if he got the same number of starts. I just think it's difficult to build a team in a championship around players from uh, League 2, League 1. You look at what uh, uh, Paul Hurst has tried to do at Ipswich and is currently failing to do. You know, the signings of Caden Jackson, Ellis Harrison, um, John Nolan, Enciala, all these players who are useful in the lower leagues, but it seems as though the step up's a bit too great and I think we might be seeing a very similar situation transpire with Christian Deutsch. Yeah. yeah. It's just going to be a case of um, time. Like I said, League 2 is worlds apart from what the championship is. I do believe he can make that step up, but he's against better players now. He has to get his physical levels up. He has to have a bit more stamina. And uh, and he will eventually, the more game time he gets, he will eventually learn how to oh, well to get onto admittedly few chances that we make but if he gets those chances um, as long as we keep providing him every now and again he will come good it's just whether he can initially get that place in the team whether that involves either dislodging McGuinness or moving to a partnership with Josh and Christian Upram Did you not think it was telling though the way that Williams didn't pass him the ball when we were 1-0 up against Derby um, I think that was Williams I think that's just Williams inexperience showing to be honest it was a Incredibly greedy moment, and it's a young kid wanting to get an impress on loan, and he just completely made the wrong decision, which you can expect, but was also extremely frustrating. Do you, do you think that in if McGinnis could have been playing, and he would have trusted Josh a bit more? That's the that's the only reason. Well, to be fair, play. well to be fair, if if he didn't pass McGinnis, I actually think Josh McGinnis would have eaten him in the changing rooms. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's probably it's probably more difficult to say no. It might be less trust, but more fear. That he inspires. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it's one of those. I think those will he'll eventually get his chance, and um, you know, obviously, like you said, he's got a bit of work to do um, to change how we how we set up at the minute. Um, yeah, I mean, we'd obviously already made two very similar signings in you know Donaldson and and McGinnis. Um So to add a third was perhaps. I don't know, maybe maybe a safety safety ledge almost, um, in case of injuries well, and whatever. But I feel like Donaldson's playing the Wilbraham role for this season where he's just the experienced striker to bit, pass yeah. on his knowledge to like um all the younger kids. Uh, as well as just come in wherever we need and just add a 
bit of extra power up front when the other guys have just ran the race. Yeah, of course. I mean, you, you saw a glimpse of it, you know, at that Birmingham game when it, it was him and Sammy Amio keeping, you know, holding the ball up in the corner for the last five minutes or so. It, it was, it's just someone that you want in your team, isn't it, really? He's, you know, got the experience and the strength to, to sort of play out a game yeah. like that. So Yeah, he's 34. I don't expect him to hit he was when he was playing at Birmingham and for brief periods of Sheffield United, because it's not as passing, we're not as passing a team as Sheffield United. So I don't expect him to score bucket loads, but he comes in, does the job, pass your experience. He's not, he's not a bad signing, but let's, but let's be real. The main places up front are between Dage and McGuinness. Yeah, I think that's even more emphasised by the fact that every time um, Donaldson's come on, it seems to be played as a right winger, which I've never seen him do at any of the other clubs that he's been at. And especially at Stoke, for example, him coming on actually signalled the moment in the game where we started to lose any ground that we had. I, I don't, I don't know whether or not it's a good idea to be putting a man, age thirty-four, at a long, long career at a decent level playing up front, and suddenly say, right, you're now our sub right winger when we need you. I don't think it sends the right message to him. Yeah, possibly. I think, but yeah, I, th- I think he's only playing there because Sammy's injured at the moment. We don't really have another like six foot. Guy that we can stick on the rack. Yeah, well, I mean, to replace him. We, we've got plenty of options, I think, wide, but it's just, you know, we, we, we need that sort of presence, don't we? Because, I mean, I've noticed that we've sort of become a more physical team this season, and, you know, it's all well and good having the likes of Buckley and Noon um, out wide, but, you know, you sometimes you just need, you know, someone with, with a bit of strength, you know, even just to knock the ball on or whatever. Um, it always adds something, I think, when you've got a player like Donaldson. But um, yeah, I think it's just a matter of rotation, and that you know, those are probably suffering as heavily as Donaldson is from, you know, rotation and you know struggling, struggling to get a lot of game time because of you know how sort of structured the, the formation is and has been recently. Um, but yeah, I'm sure we'll see more, both uh, more of them both um, soon. But yeah. Um, next up from that was the 2-2 draw at Preston North End uh, James you were there weren't you yeah although I, I missed both of Preston's goals I had to watch them <laughs> on the highlights because the pale was absolutely stupidly organised they only had one ticket window and there was a line stretching back to to some of the residential areas it was absolutely ridiculous but yeah, I got in eventually, and thankfully it was worth getting in the end to see um, <laughs> see both the goals. Yeah, Pav fired an absolute cracker, didn't he? I mean, I thought it was game over, you know, when we went two down, and I just thought this is going to get embarrassing. Yeah, um, no, uh, Ami goal, which definitely did not deserve to go in. Thank God <laughs> Declan Rudd has butter on his hands constantly, because it was not a very good shot, but you take what you can get. But Pav's, ah. Love that man. Absolutely love him. <laughs> he's been excellent, hasn't he? Really, you know, he's just been one of yeah. those editions where it's just been priceless. Yeah. And um, I think I think he's faded slightly in the in the more recent games, but mm. but he's he's been a sensational signing so far. Yeah, of course. Um, so following the Preston game, we then went into an international break. Um, so it wasn't the worst result going into that, but um, you know, we'd only suffered that proper major loss against Sheffield United um, since the start of the season so it, it was all looking up at that point and then that's the first week in September let's just say remember? shit hit the fan who would like to yeah. volunteer to speak about this first 
Was it the, I, firstly, I just, was it the worst week in Wanderers history? Do we oh think? Oh my god! Can I just can I not start with like um, Williams getting and Pearson sent off after the match? Go on, go for that. Go for that. Let's just delay it. <laughs> I really don't want to get into the absolute worst week in the history yet. Yeah, let's just delay it for a bit. Go on, talk about what happened at the full time whistle for those who, who haven't seen it somehow. Right, but so if you've been living under a rock in September, um, at the end of the match, Ben Pearson pretty much squared up to Williams, who he had bullied all game. You, you're not Williams bullying Pearson, I mean, and head and headbutting him, uh, getting himself sent off, and getting Williams uh, yellow as he was smiling away. But the, there was two major points from that. Um, one was all the best in fans absolutely demanding on Twitter that Williams get some sort of punishment afterwards because they apparently said that he bit his eyebrow or something. <laughs> yeah, I remember we, that picture doing the rounds thinking that that's what it was and apparently it was just his tongue or something, wasn't it? Yeah, it's like, he, he just stuck his tongue, he just stuck his tongue out, you can clearly see it, but they were all demanding that <laughs> he got sent off for like licking his face or some shit. I don't know, but it pressed him. He, 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 he just a wind-up merchant, doesn't he, Williams? You know, that's his job. To pick mm. on the the key player for the opposition, and you know, do as he did, try and get them sent off, or try and you know diminish their influence on the game by irritating them. And, yeah, uh, it's, it's another one of the reasons why I was so keen for us to sign him. Yeah, from what I've heard from Preston fans, uh, Ben Pearson has a bit of a short fuse anyway, so it was just marvellous shit housery from Williams <laughs> at that <laughs> point. Well, Manchester United graduate, isn't he? So he would have a short fuse. Oh, of what course. They teach them over there. Yeah, but no, it was it was absolutely wonderful to see, and honestly, uh, it kind of made me think maybe September won't be so bad. Maybe it won't be the month where Parky just seems to have absolutely no effect on the team, and we don't, and we turn out shite. <laughs> well, spe- speaking of Parky, I think the first thing that actually happened after that was that he and Ben Anik were both nominated player and manager of the month. Um, I don't think. Either of them actually won the awards, um, which I'm sort of oh, grateful for, given the curse. It was a loving fest for Leeds, wasn't it? Oh, of course it was, yeah. Yeah, BL soon, Roof. Yeah, but... I, I don't was... know how Anik got nominated anyway, because I thought one Pav was a better player in August, and Benick, uh, Ben, you can see... Benick? His, uh, <laughs> yeah, Benick, whatever, that's his new combined name. Um, yeah, Ben conceded a fair few goals in that month. He made some terrific saves, but... I can't ignore how many goals he conceded to get that nom- nomination. It was extremely weird, but it is what it is, I guess. Yeah. But Parky absolutely deserved it because none of us, let's be fair, none of us had a had us at about. I think we were about third placed, or by the end of August. Yeah, I think it was something like that. We were just doing incredibly well, weren't we, to begin with? And then obviously had that little yeah. blip against Sheffield United, and um, yeah. I mean, he's done well, you know, especially after, you know, being so close to the drop last season and then it sort of just surprised everyone, I think. Um, and for a little while, you know, I think everyone had, you know, a glimmer of hope that we might keep it up. Um, but as recent times yeah. have spelled, then, you know, perhaps not. But, <laughs> yeah. Can we delay it any longer? Is, is there anything that... I think it's time, boys. I think it's time. Is it time? Oh, God. Shotgun, not me. Not me. Tom. <laughs> yeah, I drawn a short straw. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I just remember having a really, really nice evening. I would, you know, been out for a meal, came back home. I think it was about eleven o'clock when I just got a Twitter notification saying that um, 
losses to Tyler was uh, really concerning financial news coming out of Wanderers and the headline being, you know, Wanderers sent to go into administration the following morning. And I just thought all of this was behind us. I thought all of the, you know, financial worries, well, we're always going to have financial worries while the Andersons are in charge and, you know, loaning money off, you know, everyone. But I just think it, it was the most gut-wrenching thing to read after having such a positive month, after, you know, enjoying watching Wanderers actually win some games. And then to see that, it was, you know, dagger to the hearts, wasn't it? It was. It, it was, you know, pretty heartbreaking. I think I was actually out at the time and I remember just getting the notification and something just hit me like a train and I was just stood there in complete shock. I didn't know what to make of it at all. Um, it just, I mean, I, I've put down here, you know, it's completely out of the blue. Um, I don't think anyone expected it at all. And it had obviously been going on in the background. Um you know, not yeah, obviously this, to the yeah, knowledge of the public. This is why I was but... missing Ian because he was slightly warning us about this sort of stuff. But because yeah. we were on such a high from all the good performances Bolton were having, it's like almost like we completely ignored it and dismissed it. Yeah, I mean, we managed to sort of keep things going a little bit on the pitch, but um, you know, whilst it was all going in the background, so credit to the players. But um, yeah, it was a bit of a worrying time. Obviously, there was insecurity over what had happened with you know some of the new signings. Um, I think that. You know, eventually got resolved. Um, but yeah, yeah, so it was, that yeah, it was um, what was it? We if if we had gone into administration, we would permanently sign Dodge and Matthews, wouldn't it? Yeah, so I yeah. think the deadline was for the next morning. So that was the tenth that we we were all hit with the news, um, and then on the eleventh, um, we were set a deadline for ten a.m. Um, and otherwise, you know, it wouldn't be as we knew it anymore. <laughs> Um, and somehow managed to get it extended, and um, you know I think eventually then I do it. Um, you know it, it was extended for another day, wasn't it? I think at, at first. I don't think it was just for the for the afternoon. I think there was another twelve hours added onto it or something. The, the it, scariest thing was the fact that there was so little information, wasn't there? Yeah, we, it was just we were just sort of on tenterhooks, having no idea what was going to happen or what the deadlines were. No, it was like we were literally being yeah, told it was nothing. Pretty, it was announced pretty late last night, and then uh, suddenly Ken Anderson said, "Hey, we're going into administration." And then by about ten, what was it? Initially a ten o'clock deadline. It was, yeah. Yeah, we'd still heard nothing, but then by about 12, apparently we heard that we were no longer going into administration and we just had no details because we just didn't know how in the hell this could happen in the first place. Yeah, it was quite incredible, really, how it, it was just so unexpected. And then, obviously, in typical Bolton fashion, we, we left it to the last minute to sort out and then um, kept it going for another day somehow, you know, just managed to adjourn it. Um, I, I think one of the things that really struck home to me I, I, I attended um, as you guys know uh, the Q&A with Ken Anderson and obviously this was one of the big topics that he was keen to talk about we were keen to talk about and we obviously were aware that for the Blue Marble loan that there was going to be a very very hefty interest rate attached to it but you know what he seemed to be suggesting and you know people on Twitter when, when this goes out can you know say that I'm wrong or that I misread it or whatever he seemed to be suggesting the interest rate was almost you know 200% you know, doubling it. That's and so that from the four and a half million that we loaned, we were supposed to pay double that. Mm. Now, my my original assessment of what the interest rate was going to be would have been, you know, as, you know, large, but uh, not not that. Mm. And it just, it just seemed to me that for the club to have agreed that deal in principle, 
how in God's name were they expecting to ever be able to pay that off at that rate? Why on earth would they possibly have put that, you know, having that sort of Damocles hanging over their head with that kind of interest rate? It just seemed to me, rather than, you know, saying, what did he say about a month beforehand? Oh, I have absolutely no problem with this being paid off. It's bound to be, you know, paid off. Well, yeah, he said it publicly on BBC Radio Manchester that he didn't see any reason why, but why they would not have been able to meet the Blue Marble payments on time and fully paid off. So it was just a, like, like I've been saying, it was just a complete shock that we were going into administration because the Blue Marble thing either couldn't or just wouldn't be paid off. I mean, like you said, you know, what? why would they do that knowing that the finances was, were so poor and, you know, I, you know, it, it just seemed impossible to sort of um, escape. But obviously they were, well, not obviously, but, you know, potentially they were, they were sort of reliant on a on a third-party funding, um, which, you know, appeared to, um, you know... It's difficult it, to talk about. Really. The, well, who is it? It, it was the, wasn't it the guy who owns the Middlebrook Retail Park, Michael James or something? It was. Oh. Yeah. First, he he seemed then. to be suggesting that he was involved in agreeing the loan originally. So rather than he was the one who helped pay it off, he was the one who had agreed it at that interest rate with Eddie Davis. I think was what um, Ken was suggesting. Mm. Yeah, I mean mm. that, that's what I was then getting to. You know, obviously it was then, you know, supposedly. Um, the late Eddie Davis that had, you know, sort sort of kept us alive as as his last, um, his last wish. So um, exactly because yeah. yeah. of course after all of that, he he died that evening, or at least it was announced that he died yeah. that evening. So we mm-hmm. talk about the worst, you know, week or month for Bowl Wanderers. It was one of the worst days, certainly. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then obviously. <laughs> the, Sorry, go on, yeah, sorry, sorry, but but before we go on to more of the um, absolutely terrible week, um, can we can we just say that um, our condolences go to Eddie Davis's family. Um, he was a magnificent servant to Bolton, big Bolton fan, and he provided us with some of the absolute best memories that in recent times that we've ever had as Bolton fans. And I can only thank him for that. Regardless of how it ended, he still did wondrous things for this club. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, you know, it was a very emotional um, tribute that we that was paid to him that Saturday. Again, uh, you know, I, I, I have no shame in admitting that it was it was very emotional for me personally because that is, you know, all I'd grown up with watching Bolton Wanderers, seeing them in the Premier League, seeing them being, you know, hugely competitive, and that was all down to his belief, his um, backing, his desire to see his hometown club do really, really well, and you know, as you said, James, you know, worked perfectly there. I can only thank him, and I, you know, I can't thank him enough. And you know, I wish the best to his family. Yeah. You know, it's just still going to be a very, very difficult time for them. But I want them to know that he is very well loved by a hell of well a lot of people. Yeah. Who's he made very, very best, much better. Yeah, I mean, it was just an incredible contribution. You know, throughout his time, sort of, you know, in all the roles he had, he had, um, you know, officially and unofficially. You know, he obviously was determined to he was alive and obviously we can only thank him for that as both of you have said um, you know and it's just something that um, you, you, like, like you said it, it, it was an emotional time because it's like a part of Bolton Wanderers that had, had gone you know and it, it's it, that's obviously not going to change and it, it's it's a sad time moving on and knowing that you know things have got to be um, things have got to continue you know for, from elsewhere with, with, without Eddie he, he was such a great servant to the club so um, yeah condolences to his family but yeah no I think it was 
even you know more emotional given that the, the next day obviously the, the deal was eventually sorted to avoid administration um and obviously Eddie supposedly wasn't there to, to, to see it through you know to, to see the result um of his contributions so um yeah, yeah. Uh, um in a in a perverse in a sort of perverse way as well is um his uh that his like his like final parting gift was also something that in a was used to really attack the Andersons because it was a where where it's like well if you Eddie Davis has lent you this money for this blue marble payment then why would you let it go this far to to the point where we would have gone into administration mm. so so it. it in a in a really unfortunate and sad way, um, Eddie's inner skiff was almost turned into a b- bad thing to further fuel the uh, this dispute between some of the fans and Ken and the Anderson ownership. Yeah, um, yeah. It's a situation that's going to be ongoing for some time, isn't it? But we can only be thankful that we still have a club to support, yeah, and course. that is still down to to a great it's great down to him. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, all respect and, and thanks to him for that. But, yeah, obviously, like you said, Tom, the tributes were paid at, at the QPR game um, the following weekend. Um, and, you know, it, it was well observed. And um, I think that sort of overshadowed the game. Um, we did lose 2-1, but it, it, it was like the result didn't matter almost. You know, it was just, it was just a shame that they couldn't, you know, get a win for him. Yeah, that, of that's, course. That, that was the thing from my side, more so than the points or any of the, you know, enjoyment. Just you know, a win, a win to commemorate that occasion would have been a, a perfect send off. But you know, it is yeah. what it is. It's a typical Bolton yeah. fashion, almost. Yeah. Should have known though, because for some reason we just never beat Steve McLaren side. We just can't do it, which is bizarre because he's probably one of the worst England manager in history, and he's absolutely ruined his career almost through constant failed appointments, and yet we still cannot beat him. Yeah, it is what it is. But yeah, obviously the the tributes poured in, you know. Over the over the week and the weekend, um, and alongside you know Ken Anderson's tributes um, came the news that the some other issues that that have been going on um, besides all this was obviously the dispute with Heathcote, the catering supplies, which was then announced that that was settled too. Um, yeah. You know, which came yeah. as a glimmer of you know hoping that things might slowly be getting back on track, um, and it seemed that that week just although the week had, it was over, you know, it was like the news wouldn't stop coming. Because um, I think it was either the Monday or the Tuesday following that game. Um, it was then announced that Stephen Darby um, had been diagnosed with motor neuron disease, um, which is similar, you know, it, it, it's similarly upsetting. Um, you know, and it's it's not something which is, you know, taken lightly. And, and it's, you know, it's horrible to hear someone have to go through that. Um, yeah. yeah. That's the problem, isn't it? We, you know, football just goes out the window with all these situations that we that um, you know came out in the news around about that time. And uh, with with Stephen Derby, we never saw the best of him by any strip of the imagination. But you listen to the way that people spoke about him in the dressing room. We talked, you know, a bit about the team spirit at the start. Mm-hmm. He was a key part of that. And, From you know, mm-hmm. Phil Parkinson has said on numerous occasions that he. He contributed an awful lot, despite not being on the pitch, um, to to Bolton staying up last season by you know pushing the boys in training, mm-hmm. keeping spirits high, and uh, you know we've got to wish him the best. And uh, again, you talk about the fitting tributes to Eddie Davis at the QPR game. The win against Derby was the most fitting tribute uh, to, to, to it Stephen all, really. Yeah. 
Yeah. No, yeah, noon celebration was the epitome of of everything that happened that day and clearly what Stephen Darby meant to all the boys in the back. He may not have, during his playing career, he obviously may not have been very popular initially with the fans, but like Tom said, that all goes out the window when something like that happens, regardless of what you think of a player. He, he's clearly a beloved figure behind the back and... And, and I will not. I'm not ashamed to say that I was tearing up. Oh, seeing absolutely! That in front it, was, of it was it was one of the mo- most beautiful moments I've, I've I've seen as a Bolton fan, and it yeah. was it was so so good to see that he was still there. He was still supporting the lads, and it, it, you know it meant so much to him and Craig Noon, mm-hmm. and it meant so much to us to see it. And uh, you know we yeah. couldn't give Eddie a fitting tribute with the performance against QPR, but at least we managed to give Stephen one against the against Derby County. Yeah, for me it was very reminiscent of um, when. Wamba walked back in the pitch for the first time after his heart attack and then everyone was cheering his name, they held the signs in front of him. It was similarly emotionally beautiful as that in my opinion, if on a smaller scale compared to what everyone was um with Wamba's return. Yeah, of course. Um I mean, like you said, Tom, from what I understand, you know, he contributed a hell of a lot off the pitch and you know, I can only imagine he was a massive presence in the dressing room, and you know, I think like we've heard tributes from Bradford as well. Um, you know how, how much of a servant he was to them as well, and you know how big an influence he was on 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 their team too. Um, and we can only hope that you know there's some sort of um, you know game organised or some sort of event organised to you know to recognise um, his contribution to the game, whether or not that involves us or whether it's just between Bradford and Liverpool just. Whatever, yeah, I think so. Whatever should most, on that front. Yeah, it makes permanent sense to do something. Yeah, of course. I th- yeah, I think it is going to be a collaborative effort between us, Bradford and Liverpool. But how long it takes will remain to be seen. I personally think it's probably going to be a, a kind of friendly before everyone's pre-season or something like that. A testimonial match in that sort of sense. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So yeah, thoughts are with with his family as well. You know, difficult time for them as well. So um, yeah. Best wishes to all of them. Um, yeah, obviously following that, like you said, we, we had the, the Derby game coming up. Um, but just before that, we had the 2-0 loss at Borough in midweek. Um, sort of sent us crashing back down to earth. Um, but, you know, it, it was you know li- damage limitation in that, in that case, you know, and it was one that I think everyone sort of saw coming and it wasn't the biggest shock exactly. Um, I mean, it wasn't the biggest shot, but what was shocking was how poor Middlesbrough were on that day. They, they did not play very well, but because we weren't playing very well either, and they have a, obviously a slightly better quality of player, it, it, they, they just took advantage of... It was just a difference in quality of that game, not a difference in performance, which was really frustrating. Because we had played well, I honestly think we could have gotten something away from that game. Yeah, of course. It, it doesn't help when you set up to, as you said, will limit the damage. Mm. It, it, it's just an attitude that transmits itself onto the pitch and into performance and it gives the opposition belief that oh, they're shitting themselves, they're scared, that they, they, don't, they don't think they're going to be able to do anything against us, you know, we're, we're just going to walk over this, it's just a matter of time. You've got to go out against big teams like that and try and give it a go like we did against Derby because the moment you got in their faces, we started quick, we got that early goal, they didn't fancy it after that. And yeah, you know, as you say, James Millsborough, they were nothing special. Had we done that to them, I have no doubt that we could have taken something from that game. Yeah, especially when you consider that we've gifted them that first goal that basically killed off all the belief. Yeah, and we gifted them the second as well. That was another 
third one. That second one should never have happened. No. Yeah, that, I think that was just another game, wasn't it? And just another one of those where you just sort of accept it. Um, and we thought that there'd be another one at weekend with with the Ipswich game, but you know, managed to get a point out of that. Um, yeah. Mark Wilson li- was sent off. Yeah, at least. Yeah, I was about to say at least setting up to avoid damage limitation made sense in that game because Mark Wilson he did not need to make that tackle no. at all. No. I mean, it was debated, wasn't it, about whether it was going to be appealed or whatever, and it wasn't. But um... it was very telling, wasn't it, the fact that they very very quickly said that they weren't going to appeal. I think yeah, again, course. sense prevailed, and there was no real point, was there? No. Yeah. He was only banned for one game, which I found weird. I swear you get banned for free if it's a straight red. What happened there? I think maybe if it's violent conduct, it's three professional foul, it's still only one. Potentially. I'm not sure of the exact rules with that. but um... Yeah, so it's just a shock to see him play against Black, uh, against um, Stoke. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, what, what was next from that? Um, so then, out of the blue, um, Lloyd Dyer signed for us. On, I think it's a short-term contract, if I'm right in saying. Um, so he's obviously acting sort of as cover for both um, Sammy and um, Andy Taylor, in a way. Um, and obviously Grounds, because he's been a bit out of form. Um, what, 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 <laughs> what, yeah, what, covering what? both winging positions and potentially left-back, although he doesn't... Wing-back, he isn't it, really? Yeah, he, yeah he's, he'll be a wing-back, but I never want to see us play three at the back again, so yeah. I don't see the point in that. It doesn't work. We're not good enough. No no team, unless they're Juventus or Chelsea or any of the teams in the Premier League, like City, like that, can perform playing with three at the back. You know, yeah. Even England. I mean, yeah, we got to a semi-final of the World Cup, but, you know... How much better did we look with four at the back against Spain the other day? It's just, it's just the formation that you need the right personnel to be able to pull off, and a yeah. team with a low budget at the wrong end of the championship certainly does not have that required uh, personnel. It, it's not just, it's not just um, the better personnel. You also, I think, in a way, need to be a class above some of the teams that you're playing against. It's because when we played it in League One, we were very clearly better than some of the teams that we played, like your Oxfords and your um, and your Gillinghams and stuff and those teams that we played against coming towards the end we were clearly a step above them so we could afford to play people who didn't even truly belong in that system Taylor at left wing back and Philip Murray at right wing back and succeed yeah it seems just a bit of an improvisation really but um, here's hoping that we sort of don't have to you know return to that because it it wasn't the best run of results I don't think when, when we did go through at the back but um, yeah. yeah. The only I think time it worked do... is when we beat Sheffield United last season. That was the only time it worked, and that's because they played that system. You know, the only way you can get away with it is if you're using it to match another team. And the thing is, for so very few teams use it, you always leave yourself open to be uh, torn to pieces down that side. Sorry, sorry, down the sides, unless the opposition also is playing three at the back, and therefore it's wing back versus wing back. If it's a winger and a fullback against just one player, you're opening yourself up for trouble. Yeah, of course. We tend yeah. to be vulnerable down yeah. down the wings as well, so you know, cover can't do anything. I do think we do have the personnel to be able to play that formation, but I I just think it's too risky because for one, I don't as much appreciation that I have for the shithousery of like Wheater, Beavers, Hobbs and all that. You need some pacey defenders in that formation to make it work, and we just do not have a single one. We don't have a single pacey centre back to cover 
say like if little if we were playing little Olkowski at right wing back and if they go really far forward you'd need someone like that to fill those spaces kind of like how Kyle Walker did for Trippier at the World Cup but we just don't have anyone like that to be able to make three at the back work in my opinion yeah. Um, no yeah I completely agree with that yeah. uh, as you've already touched on um, next up was the Derby game um, obviously a very fitting tribute for, for Stephen Derby where Noon's celebration was concerned um, yeah that, that was a good result I think we're all concerned because they just you know beat United midweek um, and for us to, to sort of turn that round and you know get get the three points there was you know was a big result for us really and I think it'll it'll prove to be coming the second half of the season as well um, it's just it, one of those typical big three points that you need to use against the big teams it's yeah. exactly the kind of performance that you know you need you need desire and you need um, to be able to take your chances and you need to be defensively solid against all teams in the league. You know, for example, Rotherham on Saturday, we will need to all those things to come away with the result. But against a team like Derby, who have just come off a massive, massive high, you need to give them something to worry about. You can't let them just sort of settle into the game, start playing their natural passing um, passing game, and you know give them the opportunity to pick to pieces because they will do. If you attack them and you keep the ball, they can't do anything to you. And, you know, as we, as I said earlier, if we'd have done that against Middlesbrough, we could be sitting there talking about two great results rather than just the one. But it doesn't seem to be in Parky's DNA to be able to do it all the time, despite all the evidence suggesting that it's a good plan. Yeah, I was pretty yeah, stoked as well. <laughs> yeah, in that um, derby game, literally everyone had a good game in some sense. Everyone just seemed to be on the same page. Even our weakest player on the day, Joe Williams, despite his, like I said earlier, his passing being extremely wayward, um, even defensively, he covered everyone, making sure players like Harry Wilson, Mason Mount, David Nugent just had no real chance to get a proper attack at our goal. Even Jonathan Grounds had, had his, has had his only good game for us during that game, which kind of shows how players can rise to the occasion when some days on the line it was it was wonderful to see how well we did on that day I just wish I just pray we're more consistent yeah it's one thing that we're certainly lacking I mean like you said you know everyone had a good game despite them having such a strong team you know they have the money to, to fork out on players like Mount like you said and and you know get Wilson on loan like the, you know the, they've got the contacts they've got the Relationship with, with the young players like that, um, but yeah, to, like you said, to get a result. When like you that, have Richard Keogh in defence, anything's possible. Yeah, of course, and I, I think, like you said, he's a donkey. He's a complete donkey. <laughs> Given that there was something riding on it as well, I think that made meant made it all the more um, fitting. So yeah, but like like you were just touching on James with consistency or inconsistency rather. We then went on to lose two 0 to Stoke midweek, proving we can't do it on a rainy Tuesday. Oh, it was a Wednesday night, I think. Um, in Stoke, but yeah, just another victim, full victim to that. But yeah, that, I think that was a bit of a, a non-event. But um, it was a non-event in the first half, certainly. In the second half, I think we actually deserved something. It was just the refereeing performance of Jeremy Simpson that took it away from us. Okay. The uh, decision to disallow against his goal for anyone who's seen it. I've seen it. Yeah, it was just ludicrous. Absolutely ludicrous. I what is hate, the game coming Hate championship referees. Him in particular, Simpson is just—he was diabolical. But it's not—it's—it's it's not even just Jeremy Simpson. It's guys like also like like Jeff Eltringham and um, I'm trying to remember Brooks. some other guys. Yeah, John uh, John Brooks or whatever. 
They're just they all sound so like FIFA referees of not being biased and and completely incapable of keeping up with play and making good calls and you know sticking to the actual guidelines. It's so frustrating how terrible championship refs are. You think the EFL would actually give them some decent bloody training, but it just seems like they're not trained at all. They've just been pulled uh, straight from Sunday League to referee the games where one guy's clearly on one side or the other because the mate bloody playing for them or the mate supports them. I hate the standard of championship referees. It needs complete overhaul. Mm, it's not the best, is it? I mean, it hasn't been for a few years, but I think this season in particular, we've had a few dodgy decisions given against us and it just seems to be like the world's against us at the minute but um... like literally if McGinnis just um, has a 50-50 with one play it always seems to go against McGinnis because he's obviously a, a, the big guy and clearly because he's a big guy he must be the bully on the field it's just little things like that and instead of using a bit more sense or talking a bit more with the officials on the sidelines to try and get the decisions sorted they just they just come to some biases and it it's really annoying to watch. It just gets no protection, McGinnis, and I think it's just any excuse not to give anything against him. Really, you know, it, it's you know they just think they doesn't need it, and as soon as you know he falls foul of something, they just ignore it, and it's it's completely stupid. And it, as is the way, you know, when you've got a big number nine or you know someone up there with it, with a bit of you know urgency about them, what you want to get an elbow in, you know, isn't afraid to you know challenge for something, and yet apparently everything's a foul on a keeper nowadays. So. Well, that's the thing, isn't it? I mean, it's a, it's Stoke, the yeah. scene of the most heinous crime that I've ever witnessed oh, on football pitch, with uh, Adam Bogdan being shoved into net by him who must not be named. Mm. Um, but for God's sake, if that's a foul on the goalkeeper, the one that I think, I think someone tried to convince me that the decision was given because Wilshire stood in front of Jack Butland. Now you're trying to convince me that's a foul on the goalkeeper when I've seen a man yeah. get physically assaulted. Yeah. It was like literally Butland jumped on the back of Wilshire to try and hit it. He missed it, and then it fell to. McGinnis who put it away and it's like how is that a foul on on Butland Wiltshire cannot prepare himself for Butland diving on him. To him yeah if anything that's damage limitation if he has to raise his arm or or hold himself back just try and st- stop Butland from toppling him over mm. I've never seen Yannick Wiltshire foul anyone for God's sake I mean we talk mm-hmm. about a character witness if it was, some, if it was you know Oh, I don't know, maybe Olkowski, <laughs> someone who actually has made a tackle in his life trying to challenge the goalkeeper and possibly see where he was going from. But Wilches, you know, he's a, he's a wimp in that situation. He would he would just have been standing in the mind of his own business and wondering why the hell there was a six foot five goalkeeper jumping on him. Mm-hmm. It does hate Wigan though, Tom. So you can't expect it does hate Wigan, so you can't expect him to get a red card he there. He does hate Wigan, but his touch is diabolical. <laughs> Yeah, I love his pace, we'll his pace we'll and his willingness to take on people, but his touch, oh my god. <laughs> it's because it's cause his legs are that big that every time the ball touches them and it flies off, he's just <laughs> He is quite a His tight. legs have a different mind of their own compared to when he thinks. It's like he's, he's like thinking boot as far as possible, and his mind's like, wait, no, that's a bad idea about two seconds later. Must <laughs> be terrible seeing Amiobi on one wing and Wilshire on the other because they think, fuck me, we could be either absolutely battered here or we could win this about 6-0 because they won't do anything. Yeah. The inconsistency is unbelievable. It is. It is. Uh, we'll get on to another inconsistent result in a minute, but um, in between those two, um, we were then uh, informed of potentially another winding up order um, by HMRC and apparently some other third-party marketing company. 
Um, I think as of today, actually, that or yesterday, I believe, um, as Ken said in in his notes, that has now been settled. Um, but it just seemed like one thing after another at that point again. Um, but yeah, was this was this when Ken announced that he was using Eddie Davis's loan to go through either his own company or something like that? Yes. Setting up Eddie Davis' um, gift as a loan or something like that. It was indeed. Yeah. Yeah. I, I wish Ian was here to explain. Oh yes, that's the problem, isn't it? We have to get degrees in economics to be able to work out <laughs> shit that goes on with war zones. Yeah, I don't think it's fair really to comment on that because we don't really know the ins and outs of it as well as Ian Ian would. So, um, without getting too riled about it, we'll swiftly move on from that. But um, yeah. yeah, so obviously then, like you said, uh, Blackburn was next up. Um, so that was obviously televised game um, mid evening. Um, I think we all either watched it or were there, you know, in in some form. So, um, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I, I, unfortunately, I, away. I had to work, but thankfully, I managed to convince my um, bar supervisor to put it on the telly right in front of me. Yeah, go on. Bet you were the employee of the month that day. <laughs> nope, <laughs> I'm never employee of the month. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder why. <laughs> Wow, wow, you have so little faith in me, Will. <laughs> Go on, fire away, Tom. Analyse Blackman for us. I mean, it doesn't help, does it, when for the first 20 minutes we suddenly decided that you know we didn't know how to play football but and that we were just going to play attack against defence, against Blackburn, who were in form. It, it, it was embarrassing that first 20 minutes, just seeing how easy we made it for them. But the goal that we conceded was... It riles me talking about it. I'm a, from the school of thought that if a lad is getting away from you in a position like the halfway line, take the bastard out. Yeah. And Jonathan Grounds let Casey Palmer just run. He fell run. over. And run. And yeah. run. And, you know, would, they've got players that can hurt you, Blackburn. You know, we know that. But the problem mm. is you need to get at them and try and attack that defence that looks a bit shaky. Mm. Because Charlie Mulgrew is a, is, a, is a defender by name, but he's a striker by nature. And we, we, we're always going to get joy against him. But the, giving them that one goal start with, with, you know, we had about four attempts to clear it, for God's sake, before Dak put it in the net. Yeah. It just, it's so frustrating, as we've already said numerous times in this podcast, why we don't just start quickly. Because when we do, we win games. Simple as that. We do. We tend to win when we go ahead first. You know, like, the first goal always seems to be the killer. And then I think I tweeted on the day something like, Black, and then after they, after they scored, decided to play it as our own game stuck 10 men behind the ball and just sat there but the difference is that they can actually defend a lead and, and it well, was the, dif- the difference was well, was the fact that we were just completely clueless every time we got anywhere near the pot like yeah. the players legs turned to jelly mm. yeah it was just huge I mean obviously we had the opportunities and chances in the second half but you know it seemed like it was coming but Blackburn stood firm and you know another derby loss yeah. it, it, it didn't seem like a derby for some reason it, it was it's one that sort of hasn't happened for a few years, isn't it? Well, it didn't it, well, seem irrelevant. charged but... 36 quid to get into the game. It was never going to be a brilliant atmosphere. No, that was stupid, but... Um... Category 1 fixtures, though. That's how it works. Yeah. Yeah. Plus, the game was on telly as well. And with all ticket prices, I'm not surprised no one sh- yeah. showed up. <laughs> no, no, well, stupid. very few Blackbird fans showed up in comparison to what I was expecting. Yeah. The attendance was something like 15,000, am I right? So I don't, I don't mm. know. Yeah, but it, 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 it was such a flat game. It was it was flat because the goal killed any interest that Blackburn had in attacking. So for the rest of the match, it was just bold um, attack versus Blackburn defence. 
it was a combination of us trying too hard. I mean, Ostuma was a, you know, a key had a problem in that game with trying to pick out a pass because rather than go for the simple five yarder that might have you know helped create something, he was going for the hero ball, fifty yard ping out wide or ping into the box, and nothing was coming off for him. Wiltshire came on at half time, and you know as, as you've already you've alluded to the fact that his touches poor in that game, it was absolutely diabolical, and it just seemed like nothing would go for us. McGinnis did he um, forced two great saves out of David Raya. Um, Olkowski got a lot of freedom down that right hand side but couldn't produce a cross that met a what a vulture. Yeah. It was just so frustrating to see us have so much possession and do absolutely F all with it. Yeah. Our um, wingers were more up to scratch. I honestly think we would have done better in that game, but Buckley and Noon just decided to just be absolutely rubbish that game. The wheelchair was no better when he came on. Yeah, right. Dyer didn't really make a difference either. It's alright though, Tom, because we got fifteen thousand through the gate. It's an increase. And it definitely it wasn't just because eighty thousand, but if if but the ticket prices were so absolutely ridiculous, coupled with the fact that it was on telly, that we were never never gonna. I'm surprised we got fifteen thousand. I was gonna say honest. the attendance was definitely. In... Q and A. Someone did say to Ken that um, you know if, if he changed the ticket prices, then he was certain that you could get at least twenty thousand through that door. I think he actually used the word "we'll, we'll fit it," and then he suddenly revised that statement to say twenty thousand. And Ken was like, "Well, I don't think it's within." Um, uh, the regulations to bring it down to 20 quid or, and then certainly we'd have to charge just the away fans 20 quid and I was like well that's just not that's a fine, problem yeah. I don't care if you bring 4,000 yeah. away fans couldn't give less of a shit I think it's obviously no, it's like we've, we've got no money and I think potentially like we wouldn't even break even you know if we were doing that I think that's potentially his point of view but who knows yeah yeah, well, we're not, we're not, we're not his argument was that ticket sales don't make a lot of difference to the overall books but I think yeah. it would make a lot of difference to performances if the players were performing if there was a bit of atmosphere worth singing and be a lot of them Mm. yeah Um, not at the London club we can't get away with charging about 36 quid for a ticket at most at the very most uh, depending on the game we should be charging 25 Mm. at the very most who who, the fans are as you say you're not a London club where your average fan coming through the door doesn't think twice about paying that kind of price you know it, it prices people out and people who want to come and support but just physically can't because, you know, it, there's more important things for them to spend their money on than football. Yeah, yeah. of course. If, if you charge around 15, 20 quid for, for that for that Blackburn game, you'd have easily got around at least 18,000, like we're saying, even if it was on telly. Um, it it, it might have made I'd up. honestly say more. Yeah. It, it might have made all the difference in the world to the performance. It might not, but you would have at least got a little bit of um, extra fa- fan support behind you, and then, but thankfully, Ken does seem from some of these incentives that he's made in his chairman's notes that he has taken that advice about the ticket price on board with some of the incentives for like the Swansea game and um, some. I think the Forest game as well. There's some. There's something else going on, but I can't remember off the top of my head. But he at least seemed to have taken that on board at the very least. Yeah. But yeah. Anyway. Um, yeah. So what's happened since then? Um, Stephen Ireland's joined us, very heavily linked, obviously during the summer. Um, never came off, particularly even like during the, the free agent window, and then um, sort of all of a sudden, here he is. Um, what do we reckon? Because obviously he hasn't played yet. We haven't had a game since since Blackburn. So um, do you think we can ex- expect to see him come straight into the sides? Reckon he, he's a bit off the pace, or where he stands for us? Mm. Yeah, I'm worried that he's going to kind of like the um, 
you know, the Kirkhoffs, uh, the Obasses, the Wabras who come in midway or late into the season between windows and then they just never get themselves properly fit again and can't make a uh, proper impact. But if he, if we can get him properly fit and and to a decent level, then he will be very good cam uh, the centre attacking mid um, yeah. competition with Oztuma because Vela, in my opinion, is not a centre attacking midfielder. He is not the guy to give proper competition to Oztuma. I was going to say, Vela's fallen victim massively just to you know the increasing squad depth at the minute, and I think it's it's one that's sort of up in the air. And you know, if if someone was to come in for him, you know, are, are we, you know, what front do we take on that? Um, you know, what, you know, where do we go from Two months ago, and I said I would 100% keep him on. You ask me now, and I'm starting to doubt it. The yeah. only thing that's making me lean towards keep Josh Vetter is the fact that the manager who placed him is on loan. Therefore, we can't really legislate mm-hmm. for you know replacing him with another loan player of the same kind of quality if we do lose him. And the problem is, if, uh, he, he just hasn't done enough this season or last season to warrant a starting place over the likes of Jason Lerr. Mm-hmm. Um, Joe Williams yeah. into the most impressive yeah. form. In my, in my opinion, if Bella can get back in form, he would be able to challenge Joe Williams for his current position, being that box to box midfielder, going from all the way from the fence and carrying the ball forward to get it to the slightly more attacking players or the wingers, kind of like how Williams is doing now. But um, but he's not a centre attacking midfielder. I don't think he should be challenging Oztuma, like I said. Uh, but he's not really a defensive player either in the mould of Jason Law. So he's only really got one position to challenge for, and at the moment Williams is doing that job better than him. Mm. It's true, and Wheaton needs a drinking partner for the annual piss up at the end of the season, so he can't leave because of that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I think we're very nearly up to date. Um, we've got through all that quite quickly, but. Um, one more thing that I can think of is that there's been recent talk, particularly in the weekend's papers, um, of talk of it, a new investment party. Um, I think it was either between a US consortium um, or slash and a Middle Eastern um, party of some sort that you know were potentially interested in buying the club for um, Ken's price of thirty million pounds. What do we make of that? I'm all for it, but I just don't think anyone's going to decide that 30 million represents value because we don't know what that 30 million is actually buying. No. Is, it, is that just for the club, or does that include his payoff, or is there a payoff attached to it as well? You know, the, the guy the guy has said on numerous occasions that he gets offers every day from people, whether they're serious or not. Now, the thing that I would say is you don't get uh, to quote him. Well, I can't quote him because I don't remember the exact thing, but it, the figure, ballpark figure that he was giving was like over 100 or so inquiries about the club, something like that. That, to me, who's going to ring up and say, I'm going to buy a football club, and then suddenly be like, oh, wait, no, I haven't got 30 million just lying around. Who, who makes an approach like that? Yeah. It just seems to me very, very difficult to believe mm. that he's had 100 or so um, people come to him and say, I want to buy the club, and no one's taken up on that offer unless there's hidden charges or... He's very, very difficult to work with. I, I just don't know who, whether I'd like to deal with him if I were a potential investor. Yeah. Do you think it's just Nixon in different disguises? 
<laughs> just wants him for. It wasn't Michael Flood. I find that hysterical. The fact it is Michael Flood means it's just so depressing to think that it probably is true. Yeah, yeah, but apparently, apparently, regardless, these do seem to be the most serious. This does seem to be the most serious investment talk we've had probably since he's ever been at the club. Whether there's one party like Nixon says or there's two like Ken says is irrelevant. The fact that there's even a serious party in the first place that's gotten to this stage, where it's provided uh, proof proof of his funds and is currently in serious negotiations with Ken, if, if it's to be believed, then that's only a good move, whether it comes off or not. Because at, at the very least, it shows us that we are an attractive property. And whether, th- whether 30 million is value for money is completely irrelevant. It's, it's more the fact that whoever comes in and ho- uh, you've got to pray that they will actually be able to in- invest something in this club. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Remains to be seen. Um, but yeah, I think that is about where we're up to. Um, somehow we've managed to cover two months' worth of content in just over an hour. Um, pretty good going, actually, because I expected this to be nearly two hours. But um, We'll keep it going for a bit long because we've got a few more things to touch on. Um, yeah. So obviously, something that we missed. We, we missed all the stuff regarding Carl Henry. Yeah, I, I I had that noted down somewhere that that seemed to be the start of you know the 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 dark period, that it, it was his tweets that actually sort of seemed to prompt the you know the start of it all. Because um, I, I know that his he, he sort of implied that he, he he was struggling for you know he hadn't been paid or whatever it was. I can't remember the exact the exact quote, but um, yeah, it, that seemed to be the start of it, didn't it? Yeah, apparently. Him, um, Derek, and Jem Karakam were still be were still of their uh, wages for 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 June, I think, or something like that. Either that or the bonuses, and and yeah, apparently Carl, being the shit housing confronting man he is, took to Twitter, and whether you believe that's right or not, it did prompt a response to eventually get stuff sorted, but. Ironically, it was the actual worst time to send that tweet out. <laughs> yeah, it was a little bit. It was obviously brewing, wasn't it? So, you know, probably just put, you know, pulled more onto onto the fire. So, yeah, hindsight's yeah. a wonderful thing, but um, <laughs> yeah, that was a red flag, if anything. Yeah. Um, what do you guys think? Do you think he was right to like confront people on Twitter, regardless of the timing? <laughs> I don't know. Well, it's hard to say. Confront to get anywhere unless he did do something that attracted public attention. That's mm. the problem, isn't it? You don't feel as though you're getting listened to unless you can get a mob mentality to try and help you out with your issue. That it's, seems to have been the way that a lot of mm. the um, issues that the Andersons have had to confront during their time at Bolton. Twitter seems to be the, uh, a lot of big instigator for people to try and call them out. Look at Dean mm. Moxley, for example. Yeah, I don't think he got the backing that he was quite expecting from the fans. You know, I think it was a bit of a split opinion on, you know, in bringing it all up again because it seemed to, like you said, spark reminders of, of sort of Mox's actions on social media. So, yeah, um, I, I I very much do not like Dean Moxie either as a person or as a footballer. But um, if regardless of the thing, if you're contracted to a club and you don't get paid on time, you have every right to be to demand what you're owed. Yeah, Mox did the same, and despite us not liking him, he did deserve to get paid in the end. And it was no different with Carl Henry. It was just, do you, do you think? Obviously, the timing wasn't ideal. It was just whether taking it publicly or just in whether you should take it publicly or whether you should actually just try and keep it 
in house and just confront them personally. It's just whether you whether it's just that debate more than anything. I think his it point was professionalism. Yeah, I think his point was to try and make it public so that you know action will be taken. But I don't think it actually helped his case in the slightest, to be honest. But um, yeah, it was just one of those things. I think, but. Um, so Carl Henry might have been firing shots, but um, one player who's been firing them in on the pitch is um, our old friend Adam Lafondre, as expected. Absolutely no shock there. Um, I think he's got about seven in his last five, something like that. Um, so he's doing incredibly well down there. I love Alf, but it's friendlies. Do they count? <laughs> well, I know. I don't think his season started yet, is it? So. Um, yeah, we'll see. We'll see how he gets on, but I'm not doubting it. Absolutely no one. If he then goes on into the Australian league and is their top scorer come the yeah, end of the season, absolutely. Um, and one that might take you by surprise, or you might have, you might well have heard it, is that former Wonder striker Stephen Dobby. I'm not sure whether he still holds this title, but apparently is the highest scoring or ratio time to goal or whatever um, in Europe. Have I, heard, have I heard that right? He's, I think he scored the most goal in the current competitive season in Europe or something like that. <laughs> yeah, it's that's, like 11 in 7 or That's or ridiculous. Whatever. Yeah, 11 in 7 plus if you count his friendlies and cut fixtures. Apparently he scored around 25 goals so far this season. Mm, that's just astonishing. Why did he never do that for us? Can I, can I go <laughs> I mean, to the Scottish League? Yeah. You'd I mean, probably make I, it. I mean, it literally is like... The, the Sunday League, whatever, Queen and South thing, because they're in like Scottish Championship or Scottish League One or something like that. But it, it's still a massive feat, regardless, because even though he was absolutely useless at everything else while in his time at bowling, he did grab an occasional goal yeah, every now and again. So they were important ones as well, to be fair to him. So well, you're saying Paul, we still got relegated. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> did make that True. difference? No, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. So, no, it's just a striker. It's just a striker doing his job, and fair play to him, even if it isn't a really bad league. Yeah, but just trying to think of what else, like sort of little things that we've missed. Oh, we we, uh, we released a third kit. Lovely. I do like that third <laughs> kit. I do. Like that the is third a lovely kit. kit. It is nice. Our, our kits game has probably been the strongest since Macron have taken over from Reebok. This is probably the strongest set of kits we've had. Mm. I would agree with that. It's because they're not bothered, worried about the stadium anymore. They're just focusing on what they're actually meant to do. But, yeah. yeah. Um, of, course we do, of course, we do have the small matter of a game this weekend. We do, of course. Uh, just coming to that. So, obviously, we're, we're either nearing or are at the end of the international break now. Um, so, obviously, uh, we got Rotherham away on Saturday. I think all three of us will be present for that. Um, so, obviously, we, we've got a bit of a, you know, we, we've not got the fondest memories of, of recent visits um, to their to their ground. Um, obviously, the 4-0 defeat on, on the box of a few years back. And, you know, I think pretty much every other time we've been there, it hasn't been so, so rosy either. I think we lost um, 4-2 the time before, and we were 4-0 yeah. down at one point yeah. in that game. So I'm expecting... We literally only won one away game against Rotherham in our history, and that was about... 50 years ago. Mm. So, so I'm, I'm, like the present, boys. I'm expecting to concede another fall this weekend, are you? <laughs> no, no, Rotherham are not a good side. I'm sorry, but they are not a good side. They may be uh, slightly higher than everyone. Yeah, 
they may be slightly higher than everyone would have believed them, including myself, to be at the start of this season, but they are not a good side. No, they're not. But yeah, let's hope we can get a result. You know, they're not. Is that, they're probably down there with us, you know, with Bucky's favourites to go down. And so um, yeah, yeah, they were the favourites, understandably, because last time they were in Champions League, they got absolutely pasted. Yeah, they did indeed. Um, so we're coming towards the end of the podcast now, I think. Um, but we've got um, one or two more things um, to come. Tom, I know you like to take the lead on this. Um, so earlier we did ask for your uh, Twitter questions, if any. Um, I think we did get a few replies. Or, um, so any of your pressing matters will now be answered to the best of our ability. I've got one or two here that I can read out. Um, so yeah, We're going to have to go from your Twitter world because there's literally no one responded to the actual live. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, People no haven't problem. missed us that much. So, no, they haven't, uh, <laughs> despite all the demand and... Um, yeah, many annoyed people that we've been away for so long. I do apologise. Um, but it seems you weren't that bothered. <laughs> so, uh, we've had we've had three questions, two of which from the same person. How lovely. Thank you to Lee Tennant for those. Um, so we'll get straight into them. Um, so, Lee is, oh, I think it's one question across two tweets, maybe. I think that's what it is. Um, so he's asked us, what are your thoughts on the formation uh, we should utilise going forward? Um, I think that's the question in itself. And then, which makes best use of our players at our disposal? Is it a good idea switching between three and five at the back um, and four? Um, he says, personally, I think Amiobi's availability is key to which one is better going forward. For me, he will be best in a free roll behind McGuinness with Oz Tumit deeper. We need two ball players in the in the midfield, uh, three, not one. That was me, very long winded. Play three or five at the back. We have to have two up front. Ozzy can still yeah. play and be behind, but we have to have two up front because otherwise, we're just going to get. Um, I'm tr- I'm trying to think. I'm trying to think of a game where we just sat back really far. It was early in the championship last season when we were still playing three at the back, mm. and we just got absolutely thumped. I was at Hull. It was it was when we were still playing free at the back and we had Medine. Yeah, probably Hull then. Probably I know, Hull. I know we lost that four 0 We only had Medine up front because uh, Parkey dropped out of the bench and yeah. I mean, he, he said here that he liked Amiobi in a in a sort of free role behind. Um, I know he, his strengths are obviously mainly on on the wing and you know when when he was playing in front of Mark Little, they had a very good relationship down the right. Um, you know, covering for one another. I'd I'd like to see him in a in a midfield you know sort of number ten role, but I think we've we've sort of covered that you know we've got several options now in that position, you know Ireland Vela Osuna um, Donaldson if need be, you know I, th- I think we've got plenty. So in my opinion, I don't think we're likely to see Amiobi in that position anytime soon, but it it it's definitely a theory which um, you know it, it's possible. Um, potentially not anytime yeah. soon, but we'll see. Yeah, no, yeah. If we're playing three at the back, I kind of like to play um, a three-four-one-two. So, say we have a back three of just just off the top of my head, like um, Hobbs, Wheater, and Beavers, with um, either Olkowski and Little on the right, and um, Dyer or, or Andy Taylor on the left. And yeah, the, the two in the midfield of of Law and Williams, 
um, Ozzy or someone of that help mm-hmm. up top, or Amiobi if you want to put him in the free free roll behind, and then I think um, would be good in a free roll. Only reason I, I just the experience he, he's not at thirty two going to be doing an awful lot of running, but I think if we get the ball to him that you know through balls etc etc. But in a three five two formation. Those through balls are going to tend to be for the wingers, and that's going to be an awful lot of running for people to do if they're playing at wing back, you know, doing a double roll. Yeah. I really hope we signed Ireland for his passing ability and not for running, because <laughs> with the amount of injuries he's got, I, I, I'm surprised he can still run at this point. Yeah. I don't know how he's saying all the right what things, it's like to like. But... I didn't expect it to attract as much media attention as it has. You know, mm. they did a big interview with him on Sky Sports, for example. So clearly, people, you know, he's clearly a big name. Yeah. that is viewed as a big name. Yeah, well, he was doing bits at Man City when they were when they initially got took over, and he was doing tremendously well. I remember him being a massive force for them going forward in that season. But it it's kind of like with Hobbs, any potential that he had just kept getting worn away as he got more and more injured, and now he's ended up at us. Well, the thing is, isn't it? And it's a positive and a negative. The positive is Stephen Arden has the capacity to outperform the likes of Rubinho in the team against Manchester City. The downside <laughs> is that was ten years ago. Yeah, mm. we'll see how that pans out. Talking of injuries, though, um, this is just a question between us. I, I yeah thought this until now. Um, do you know if we're likely to get Amiobi and Andrew Taylor back anytime soon, or are they long-term injuries? Um, I, yeah, Andy Taylor, I think, is going to be available for Rotherham, uh, yeah. but don't quote me on that. But Amiobi, I don't think he's going to be back until around November, from what I've heard. Oh, OK, great. Yeah, certainly another month, I've heard. Yeah, well, there we go. There's there's another question answer for you. Um, and then the only other one we've actually got from Twitter. Um, given £10 million to spend, which players would you bring into the team? If we had ten million, I would definitely change up the defence. Yeah, I wish we had ten million. Get, but. <laughs> yeah, get 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 in in some slightly quicker defenders who can obviously also defend to complement alongside like the Hobbs and the Wheater of the team. Mm. Bring a bit of balance on that front. Um, bring in slightly more creative midfielders centrally, so so then we can get rid of the likes of Luke Luke Murphy, who doesn't really do anything. What has happened to Luke Murphy? It's just where is not, he? It's not worth it for him, is it? I think he was just signed because we didn't know where we were getting Williams. And, and now we've Williams. Yeah. Murphy's just disappeared off the face of the earth. Well, that's the thing. From having a dearth of central midfielders, what is it? We've now got Williams, Lowe, Vela, O'Neill, Murphy, um, Ireland. Um, I'm sure I'm missing one. Oh, but that's awesome. a lot of players. Yeah. Just, just wonder what you know. He signed up for what? What? What dream Luke Murphy was sold? We do the tend to have an overcrowding in the field. Cancel his contract at Leeds to get him to sign for us on a free instead of us paying money for this him. This is what and I'm saying. I couldn't believe it. Mm. it an and awful. ever since, ever since that uh, bad performance against Stoke, he's just not been seen at all since. Mm. Not Stoke, sorry, uh, Sheffield. Sheffield, yeah. yeah. Well, thank you for your few Twitter questions. Um, we hope they were insightful of course Um, so yeah we're we're back Um, we'll try and make these as as regular as possible and we do mean that um, providing that we're not out of action for another two months with difficulties out of our hands but um, yeah so 
this is obviously number 96. We are closing in on 100. Um, we are planning on organising a special podcast. Um, names to be announced. Um, guests to be announced. So, yeah, I think it may be as much of a surprise to us as it is to you, um, depending on how you know how quickly or how late it's organised. But, um, yeah, we look forward to it. But obviously, 97, 98, 99 to come first. Um, hopefully we'll get them to you in the coming weeks obviously we've got games coming up now so should be coming thick and fast um, and we'll be at 100 in no time and um, we won't be stopping there either we'll, we'll just keep going so yeah but we just may as well make 100 a landmark whilst we can and make the most of it so yeah so thank you to Tom and James for being reg- our regularly our regular pundits and being so excellent Um no. Yeah. Oh, I have mi- I have missed you, boys. Me up, boy, <laughs> <laughs> I have missed you. So as much as I'm uh, plugging you, you can now give out your socials to the lovely people who might still be listening an hour and a half in. Who wants to go first? <laughs> uh, my, my my Twitter is uh, TJ fourteen Wanderer. If you um, are interested in utter nonsense being talked on a regular mm-hmm. basis, uh, most of it alcohol fueled after watching Bolton lose matches yeah yeah uh, you can follow me at Real Range Jarvis for a mixed bag of football just general social stuff or me getting bullied by Wes yep that's he just... loves you really Wes if you're listening <laughs> we all love you Wes I hate you Wes I hate you Wes I love and hate you at the same time apart from James <laughs> my Twitter is WI1LJ um, and yeah you can find our writings future podcasts Blah blah blah. Um, all on line of honesty, um, and obviously on the website too. Um, obviously, this will be live on Blog Talk, iTunes, and for many of you, you'll find it via Facebook and Twitter. Um, if ever you want to message us, the DMs are open. So yeah, and I don't just mean our female audience. <laughs> it's just general input yeah James does James is desperate <laughs> but anyway um, if there's nothing else left to say then this has been the Line of the End of Week podcast episode 96 thank you very much for listening set la vie